What a joy it is to be with all of you on this really significant day. Um, every now and then we just sort of need these uh, reminders of what we are all about as a church. And if, if that doesn't happen for you today, I will be surprised because this uh, chance just to interact with our larger family around the globe is one of the most inspiring things that happens all year long in the life of our church family. And if you've just wandered in today for the very first time, and, uh, or maybe visiting with us online for the very first time, uh, we just hope and pray this will be a, a motivator to keep coming, to keep connecting with us, uh, because we need you. We need all of us and the gifts God has given us to fulfill uh, the very important mission that he has for our time. So we're going to talk about that and think about that together today. Let me just invite us to pray uh, one last time before we do it. Lord, thank you for gathering us in this place. Uh, I just pray that you will now take my very human words and fill them with the power of your spirit and that we might be called closer to your heart and having encountered that heart, move into this world with your kind of love. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the um, weird and wacky facts you may not know about me is that I am a uh, submarine uh, movie junkie. I like submarine movies. I like the adventure of them. I like the suspense. I like the action of them. You give me a rainy day and a crackling fire and the hunt for red October <laughs> or that old black and white classic, Run Silent, Run Deep, and I am a happy camper. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a delighted guy. And, 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 and my favorite part of these kinds of movies is always that moment, and it comes in every single one of them, where, where some sonar station operator suddenly is on high alert and says, Captain, I've got a contact bearing 305 and closing. You know those moments, right? And they're exciting moments because you don't know in that instant whether it's a torpedo coming their way or an enemy sub or maybe just an ally coming to join the fight that could change the battle in the right direction. Do you know those kinds of stories? Have you watched them? I just love that. Those of you who are video gamers, you've got your own version of this. You've got your experience of it. I grew up, we raised three sons. We are familiar with Halo, Call of Duty, and the same kind of, uh, of, of technology exists in those environments too. I can't tell you how many times I've been playing a game with one of my boys on this uh, uh, topic, and, and I'm am amazed at how they operate at the center of these concentric circles of awareness that's like sonar in a sense and how amazingly conscious they are of the environment round about them at a level that allows them to assess threats and opportunities and engage with what's out there that I just simply don't have. And usually I will have been killed for the, for the tenth time in, in five minutes, and one of them will sort of talk to me with a tone of disappointment. I'm, Dad, are you using that little location screen at all? I mean, are you paying attention to what's going on around you? They will say. And the answer, of course, is no. You know, I, I, I just sort of haven't been trained this way. I, I didn't grow up in that generation that did this and learned this kind of awareness and engagement. I have this theory that um, 
that all of us have sort of the equivalent of personal radar or sonar. That we all have this, this system in us. We have a certain radius of perception and engagement that comes from our training, from our upbringing, uh, from the stimulus and experiences of our life, or maybe even just from our own natural wiring. Some people's radius is very short. It hardly goes, it seems, beyond the length of their arms. You, you've noticed this. You've been in a situation, you've been driving along in your car, and somebody is at an intersection, and they're struggling to make a decision of some kind, and they have no clue the traffic jam, the, the, the irritation of all the people piling up around them. Have you ever seen that? Right? Or, you're, or you're, you see somebody walking through an environment, a crowded environment, and they're talking loudly on their phone, oblivious to the disturbance they're creating, or they're just walking along maybe staring at the screen, just sort of unconscious of the, of the impact they're about to have as they crash into somebody else. Some people have a radius that's very, very short when it comes to awareness and, and, and engagement. There are other people whose, whose challenge is that, is, that, is that the radius is very slow. It's very slow to actually take in what's right around them. I mean, they might actually have a really long radius, one that goes out far, the sweep hand of their sonar goes way out there. They can see things in the future. They lock on to certain things, but they just are kind of clueless to the, to the, to the circumstances right around them. Uh, you know, sometimes visionary leaders are like this, or creatives are, are like this. You know, they see way out into the future, but they're just like unconscious of what it means to be their coworker <laughs> or, their, uh, or their family member. How many of us wish we could actually go back in time and sort of improve the sweep of our radius for the people closest to us because we were so fixated on something else that was out there? How would you assess your sweep and your reach of your own personal radar? How would you assess that? Uh, the, the reach of it and the sweep of it, the awareness and the extent of it. Um, it's really striking to me when, when I look at the life of Jesus, just how impressive is the reach and sweep of his personal sonar or radar. I don't know if you've noticed that as you study the life of Jesus. But, but it's really amazing the kind of, the breadth and the range of the concern that he has for people and how committed he seems to be to trying to help his followers develop a better reach and sweep of their own personal radar. Jesus invested intense time over three years trying to help three particular, uh, or rather 12 particular people uh, develop a vision for life larger than their own parochial interests, their personal preferences, their politics. He really invested in them, trying to teach them about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is a whole framework for living that's very, very different than the one that's sold to us all the time. We're always being sold the frameworks of the empires of humanity. And the empires of humanity are usually very parochial. That is, they're concerned about us, mainly about us and achieving our well-being, 
where the kingdom of God is about the full range of God's concern for all of humanity. And Jesus poured a lot of his energies into teaching just these 12 guys to to think in terms of the kingdom of God. And then after the book, after the resurrection from the grave, uh, which you would think would be kind of mind-blowing and perspective-changing for the disciples, we're told that Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And I love this. Now, so if you've been talking about lots of things before, now he really keys in in these last 40 days on on making sure his disciples get the big idea of the kingdom, of the reign of God and all that it can do for all of humanity. Finally, there's this last physical conversation between the disciples and Jesus. In about five minutes, literally, Jesus is ascending into heaven. He's going back to his heavenly father. The disciples have five minutes to get the most important insight from Jesus. And here's their question. Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Translation. Will you make Israel great again? Will you make it better for us? Will you you give us places of power? You know, will you do this, Jesus? It's a question that reveals a very short and slow radius, right? Now, I'm Jesus at this moment. I'm thinking, I'm kicking these guys off the submarine. I'm putting them in the torpedo tube and firing them right out. Or I'm kicking them out of the video game. They just don't get it. They just don't have an awareness of what I'm trying to do. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus just makes a promise. And it's one of the most stunning promises, the most amazing promises ever made in history. And this is what he says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I just want to take that one verse of the Bible and bring it alive for you in a fresh way. I want to break it down, make sure that every single one of us sees it and hears it and takes it in and understands it in a way that really renews our own movement through the world. I want to think about what that really means, what Jesus was really saying. Christ is giving us here a picture of both the reach and the sweep of what has come to be called Christian missions. Uh, and, and we're taking a break here from our study of the book of Kings, uh, which we'll return to in two weeks, I promise. But we're taking a break here because we've got these marvelous mission partners that are with us this whole week long. And, and because this is such an important topic that is so central to the core of who we are as Christ Church, we just thought we should stop and really focus in on this today. Jesus starts out here by saying that when the Holy Spirit lives in your life, your whole life becomes a witness. When the Holy Spirit fills your life up, 
He moves through you in such a way, now your whole life, the way you speak, act, spend, interact with people, becomes a witness, a testimony, a powerful influence upon other people. And I want to ask you today is, is that true for you, do you think? Do you feel that, that your life is a powerful influence for the advancement of the kingdom of God and all the good purposes God has for people? Is your life like that? When you go to school, when you interact with, uh, with, with people in the, uh, you know, the sports field, at the community event, in your workplace, maybe even in your own home, are you a powerful influence for Jesus in those places? And if your answer is, yeah, I'm not so sure, then, then here's something simple to do, to do. Pray and say it today. Lord, please fill me more with your Holy Spirit. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Use my life. Let my life be about more than acquiring things, more than about going through the schedule and putting one foot in front of the other, dealing with the anxieties. Let my life be a powerful influence. For your kingdom. Ask him to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. I, I, I've written a book about the subject of Christian witness. It's called Witness Essentials. You can pick it up if you want. It's a study guide. Um, it, it, it's something that's worth thinking about. What does it look like to be a witness? Um, I will say that I, I could put it in simple terms for us, and I want to try and do that today. It really boils down to trying to, to daily live out two major mandates of Jesus, two specific things that Jesus asked us to do, asked his followers to do. And we're not going to do this perfectly. None of us are doing this. I'm definitely not doing this perfectly. But I want to give these to you because they could be helpful maybe as a focus for how it is you're living your daily life. The first thing Jesus really tries to communicate to people is is the importance of living out what he called the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all that you are. He he literally says this. Love God. Seek to please him and honor him and know him and interact with him with all that you are. Don't, he's saying in other words, don't just let it become a compartmentalized thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just an occasional thing. It's not just something I just reach out for God when I'm in trouble. Don't do that. Let your life be all about that, about pleasing God and honoring him and knowing him and extending his good to other people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor. Love, you, love the person your neighbor to as yourself, as if you were loving you. Love them that way. As I have loved you, he says, so you must love one another. What Jesus is saying there is, you're going to get lots of, of descriptions of love. You're, you're going to get all kinds of images of what love looks like in the world. You're going to find that, that, that you're tempted to sort of shrink down to a, vi- a vision of love. That Love is what is the comfortable thing that I do to sort of be kind to other people. Jesus says, no, don't stop there. Reach, let the radius go out further and love people the way I love you. The way you've seen me love sacrificially, as a servant, love people. 
Now, Jesus does not just give this instruction once. He doesn't just uh, describe the greatest commandment once. It's like everywhere in his teaching and in his um, modeling. So in his inaugural address at the Nazareth synagogue, Jesus talks about what love looks like lived out. Uh, In his famous parable of the Good Samaritan, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the greatest commandment in that story that he tells. In his famous parable of the sheep and the goats, this sort of the final reckoning on the last day of history, uh, Jesus is trying to describe what it looks like. The pattern of the behavior of the sheep is all about loving in practical ways, the, the people who need practical care. It's, it's in that teaching too. Everywhere almost, Jesus is always sort of picturing for people and describing in various ways in his own actions what it looks like to to love people in an uncommon, self-sacrificing, life-changing kind of way. He's calling us to love people that are, that are caught up in the effects of sin, the burdens of sin, or the impact of somebody else's sin, or just the suffering that goes with living in a world that's broken, it's fallen. It's not what God intended it to be. We're just meant to be the people who move towards others in need in that time. And Jesus and the prophets that precede Jesus tell us that as the witnesses of God, we're supposed to enter every single environment with incredible humility and servanthood. We never walk into a room thinking, I wonder what's in this for me. We walk into every room thinking, I wonder how God could use me to bless people here. We're not looking for the highest seat at the table. We're looking to take a place where we can be used in, 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 in serving kinds of ways. We're looking not just to be served, we're looking to wash feet. This is the image Jesus gives us again and again. We're called to provide practical aid to the least of society, to the, to the people that are struggling the most, the marginalized, the under-resourced. We're called to be for them in a very personal kind of way and to treat them as if we were caring for Jesus, he says. Whatever you do to one of the least of these, you do for me. This is going to be the mark of the followers of Jesus. We're meant to practice mercy, which is not giving people what they deserve. Right? It's not giving them what they actually do deserve, the punishment they deserve. We're supposed to practice mercy and work for justice to set things right, to make the structures of society work better for more people. We're called to seek the welfare of the cities we inhabit, we're told by the Old Testament prophets. You know, care about the cities around you and seek the welfare of people in them. We're told to bring glory to God and favor to the church by the good work that we do. We're meant to proclaim and exhibit the inbreaking of the kingdom of God that offers help and hope like no earthly empire possibly can. And so my question to you this morning is, in what specific ways do you feel like in the last week you've lived out the greatest commandment? In what specific ways could you imagine, maybe in this week ahead, living out the greatest commandment? So that's one of the big mandates of Jesus, to love the Lord your God, to love your neighbors yourself, to love as he loves. 
that's, that's, the, one of the, that's the first one. But before he ascended into heaven, Jesus also gave a second instruction. And, and we've come to call that second great instruction the Great Commission. The Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, said Jesus. I've got, in other words, all the power needed to, to really resolve the issues of our world. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, for I'm with you to the very close of the age. Now this, too, is something Jesus didn't just say once. He communicated this instruction, this idea of reaching out to the world, to people, bringing them into the circle of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's life and love, instructing them in the way of God's family. He, he taught about that a lot. How many of you have, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the parable of the prodigal son? Right. This is a story about that. This is the story about the heart of God that reaches out, that wants to bring home Lost kids, lost people of every kind. Jesus teaches about a shepherd that goes out after just a one lost sheep and a woman who, who scrabbles underneath the bed in the dust bunnies for one lost coin. This is the heart of God to bring that which is lost home. In fact, in one of the several ways that Jesus described his own personal mission, he said, this is my radar. This is my sonar. I came to seek and to save the lost to find them, to bring them home. And so we're meant to be agents of that kind of finding and home bringing. Uh, Jesus says that we're meant to be like salt in the world. Um, we're supposed to provide spiritual seasoning wherever we go and, and, and preserve what's vital against being decayed and lost. We're, we're supposed to be light, said Jesus. You're the light of the world. Bring illumination to individuals, to households, to communities. I mean, just give them what they need to see things more clearly, the things that matter more clearly. And fulfilling that great commission means that we will be trying to find opportunities to talk about forgiveness, that forgiveness is possible for all of us and that we can find actually our eternal home in the, in the Father's family beyond even this life, that the cross of Christ was God's sign that, he's bringing, that he wants to bring us all home, that he has the grace that we need to come home no matter how badly we've screwed up. And if you today are somebody that just has never dared to believe that could be true, you know what your history is. You think, God, you would never really accept me because of all that. You can come home. Here's the good news. His forgiveness is for you. Come home to the Father today. As his witnesses, we're going to be trying to help people remember that truth. And we're going to be extending invitations to people all the time to, to enter into the circle of the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be at church. It's great if it would be at church. Invite them to the coffee table. Invite them to the dinner table. Invite them into the small group. Invite them into some circle of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's love where they can learn the ways of the family 
And as Dr. Greg Ogden is going to share eloquently with us next weekend, we want to help them learn what it means to be disciples, to follow Jesus, to be learners of Jesus. Okay, so this is a big order that I'm giving. I don't know if, that's, if you're feeling the weight of it, but, but basically um, this is the sweep of our concern as Christians. We're trying to be about the greatest commandment and the greatest commission. We're trying to love others not as the world defines love, not as we might want to define love. We're trying to love them the way Jesus actually loves people and did love people. We're trying to bring everybody we can home to the Heavenly Father and into the family of, of heaven and the ways of his family. And in saying this, this is really an important part, so hang in with me here. Christian mission, Christian witness is about both showing uh, compassion and seeking conversion. It's about showing compassion and seeking conversion. Practical compassion paves the way for spiritual conversion. Spiritual conversion leads people closer to the heart of God, which grows their practical compassion. Compassion and conversion are not sort of two ends of a spectrum. They're not tensions. They're definitely not opposites. Sometimes it gets painted that way. Liberals, we're for compassion. Conservatives, we're for conversion. Jesus is about both. They're like a flywheel that goes faster and faster and faster and more powerful the more they're interrelated. And every one of our mission partners could tell you that from their experience as well. So the question is, are you and I aware of and engaging the people around us with this kind of concern, this kind of hope for them? Are we doing that? Uh, do we have a sweep like a witness should? Um, this, I think, is why Jesus uh, was uh, very deliberate in his final words uh, to his disciples. Uh, he cared so much about this getting done that he got really specific about where it should be done. Um, he, he, he didn't just talk about the sweep of what should be done. He got specific about how the reach of this concern should move. He said, first of all, I want you to be my witness right here in Jerusalem. Uh, which is to say, I want you to be my witness in the area immediately around you. Think about the way that you are speaking, loving, living alongside of the people uh, in your home, at your school, in your workplace, in your church. Think about that. Are you exercising the two major mandates in your relationships with them? Survey that environment. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a ping off of someone in particular right around you, maybe before you leave this building today, who needs spiritual, material, relational grace in some way. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you that sort of awareness and move towards that person. Who will that be for you? Who will that person, what's the ping for you today 
and tomorrow. If you're my witnesses, said Jesus, then your radius will reach out to Jerusalem, but it will go out even further to Judea. To Judea. Now, Judea was the region right around Jerusalem. It was the larger, it was the county, in a sense, around the city of Jerusalem. Jesus was saying to his disciples, I want you to bring good news to the people of your region. Don't just care for your little town. Be concerned about your region, he's saying. I want you to be for those people. I want them to know you, my church, are for them in a very real way. Again, people that have spiritual, relational, material needs of any kind, I want them to feel like, wow, they've got an ally. They've got help in you, my church. Jesus would say to us today, I want you to be for Chicagoland. I want people to know you are really for the people of this world. Are Christians today known as people who are for others? Or are we known as people who are sort of, they're threats. And then Jesus stretched the disciples' personal radius even further out. He said, I want you to be my witnesses in Samaria. I guarantee you at that moment, every one of those 12 disciples winced. And I, and I picture them kind of looking sideways at each other like, can you believe he just said that? He wasn't serious, right? Because Samaria was code for those people. Jews had contempt for Samaritans. Samaritans had unorthodox religious beliefs. Samaritans had like weird inappropriate, distasteful uh, cultural customs. Samaritans had, a, had a, a political outlook that was disagreeable to the average Jew. Samaritans were even racially inferior as far as Jews were concerned because they intermarried with Gentiles. They were those people. And the disciples must have felt, oh no, not them, Lord. Not them. And Jesus said, I want you to extend the reach of the radius of your concern to those people. I want you to be witnesses with those people not like you. Those around you, those near you, those not like you. That's where I want you to go. Who are those people for you? Who are the Samaritans for you? And are you setting your sights on them as people you're trying to build relationships with? Then Jesus said something really crazy. Uh, Take your witness about me and my kingdom to the ends of the earth. Now, we've probably heard that so many times, or we just look at that statement and we think, that's not that crazy, that's not that wild. Why? Because we can hear from the ends of the earth on our phones. We get videos, like daily or anytime we want, from almost any part of the planet, on our phones. If we have enough money, we can get on a plane. We can go up to O'Hare or down to Midway today, and we can get on a plane and fly to the ends of the earth. We have been to the moon. This is not hard. But to 12 first century peasants? 
This idea that they were going to carry the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth was jaw-drop impossible. I mean, most of them have probably never been outside Israel. I mean, the fastest form of transportation they knew was a horse, and they probably didn't own one. Maybe a sailboat. Um, they lived in a world that was so massive that they, the people hadn't even mapped it yet. Most of it was unknown. But you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And you want to know what is even more amazing? They were. The Holy Spirit did that. And you know the proof of it, right? You. The fact that you are here, that we're having a conversation about Jesus all the way across the planet <laughs> from where Jesus gave these instructions. Over these last weeks, you know, we've been studying the story of, of Elijah. And as I said, we'll be back to it in two weeks. But it's a fascinating story because Elijah is trying to talk to people at a time when um, there were all of these sort of tribal gods. Uh, Baal and Asherah, versions of, of tribal gods. And, and most gods of the ancient world were like that. They were very parochial. They were about one locality. They were about you know, one concern or issue in life, rain or sun or something like that. They, they were usually about one nation. This is the way people thought about divinity. Elijah believed in a different kind of God, a God that was for all people, that was for all time and for all places. Elijah believed in the God that Jesus shows us in technicolor. One of the most consistent messages of the Bible is that God sees and cares for people all the way to the ends of the earth. Uh, we're told, for example, by the prophet Job in the Old Testament, God views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Reiterating the final words of Jesus on his day of ascension, the Apostle Paul said to the Christians in Antioch, which, by the way, is the city where, for the first time, the followers of the way of Jesus were called Christians, meaning little Christs. And he, and he reiterates God's word from the Old Testament, in which God says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, which means a light for people even beyond your nation, beyond the Jewish nation, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is a charge that the followers of Jesus still live out towards a coming day when, as the psalmist once prophesied, all the ends of the earth will remember and return to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. The Christian church I'm convinced, needs to extend the reach of its radius further today. All around the North American church, we are becoming shrunken in the reach of our radius. We are becoming much more concerned about our own backyards. Not all bad. We need to take care of what's around us, what's near us. Very, very good stuff. But not at the expense of forgetting the call to reach as far as we 
can, especially given how well-resourced compared to the rest of the world we American Christians are. Around the world today, there are still 3.2 billion people who do not know the message of Jesus Christ, who have not heard about the kingdom of God, or who live in communities where there are just so few Christians, they don't have the capacity to extend the witness in, a, in, an, in an effective way to their larger population around them. There are 3.2 billion people living in some 7,000 what we call unreached people groups who just don't have the resources, who just don't have the message. And one of the special roles we've been given as a church, and I'm speaking now of Christ Church, is to be resourceful partners with those believers in those places or to reach out to those places where there aren't even any believers. That's why we care about both domestic and global missions in our church's life. I have given you like a super fire hose today (laughs) and I have blasted all kinds of stuff at you and I thank you for enduring this. Thank you for listening to this. I don't expect you to be able to remember all of it but I will say that if you are interested I will put online a manuscript of this message so that if, you're, if it's helpful to you, you can go back and read it again, think about it. Let me just, let me close with a story today and then let us go. Some years ago, um, my wife and I and some others from the church, we, we traveled to India and we went to the uh, portion of southern India and out into a rural community where one of our mission partners, um, India Gospel League, had sent one of their representatives uh, some years before. Uh, They sent in what they call a barefoot pastor, which is basically meaning a very, just an ordinary follower of Jesus who who loves Jesus and wants to be a witness. And he started a Bible study in that community. And that Bible study grew, and it grew from just a, you know, it's a Hindu community, right? It's not a place where Christianity is big. And, but he gradually, um, established this little circle of, of people who became followers of Jesus, and it grew eventually to about 20 people. When it got to about 20 people, the India Gospel League, our mission partners, came in behind, and they built a cinder block building for those 20 believers so that when in bad weather, they could have a, a sheltered place to meet, and they began that community grew beyond 20, and now they had a place where they could actually worship on Sundays. So that building became a, what we would call a church building. And during the week, it became a school building. And, and so they were able to extend education to people that the state system was not really committed to educating, some untouchable people, people at the lowest end of the caste spectrum. And, they would, and then they would teach those people. And then that, that school during the week also became a community center where people from the area around could come in and could talk about the problems they had in their, in their community and collaborate together on how to address those issues. And over time, that little community center also became what is called a microfinance center. And, and people were, were given small loans that helped them to establish small businesses, and those small businesses began to provide livelihoods and, an, and a different kind of economy in the area. And then the IGL came in and helped them and they, and they dug clean water wells in the area so that people wouldn't have to walk uh, incredible distances to get water for their families. And they could actually go to school and they could have a better quality of life. And they taught the farmers in the area how to improve their production capacities so that people could eat more. They called that little building they built in the middle of that place a life center. 
And it was a really good name for it because that is what it spawned. Abundant life, eternal life. And in 10 years, it totally transformed that region around there. And I know because I heard the stories, and not just the words, I saw the look on people's faces when they described what this had meant to them and their community. And Amy and I watched as, as people were being baptized into the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with tears of joy streaming down their faces, knowing what this meant to them and what this could mean to other people. And people were coming from the surrounding Hindu community saying, please come do this in our community. Please, please bring this life to our community. What I want you to understand is that India Gospel League has not just done this once. Through the investment that Christ Church has made in them and other churches like us, they have done this 70,000 times. Their vacation Bible school ministry for children last year had nearly a million children in it. You want to change the world? Spend less time on Fox News and CNN. Spend more time reading the scriptures and studying the work of Christian missions because this is the reach and the sweep of Christian missions. <laughs> this is the reach and sweep of Christian missions. This is the result, the practical result of Christian missions. And, and I think, I think that if we could, could somehow develop a different mindset than is being sold to us today, we're constantly being told by our society that when we look out there and we hear the ping of something out there that's different from us, it must be something trying to torpedo us. And we should just put up our walls and defend against it. That is the exact opposite of the vector of the kingdom of God and of the heart of Jesus. His heart is that when we ping on something out there, we curiously and appreciatively move towards it, wondering if there's not opportunity there to change the world for good in his name by the power of his spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I send you. As the Father sent me, in the ways that he sent me to live and do my life, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. So be my witnesses in your Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is our wonderful call.
Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for catching us up in the sweep of your grace and your truth and your love. Help us, Lord, to see people around us with your eyes. Give us courage and will and commitment to keep reaching out. And allow us in all of these ways, Lord God, to be part of your force of blessing until that day when you make all things new again. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.